Um, for three and a half years, Jesus walked on the earth. You think God took on human flesh and he walked among us for three and a half years. And during that three and a half years, he did some incredible things. He walked on water. He caused leprosy and other diseases to just vanish away. He caused crippled people to be able to just regrow limbs, and he put things back together that had been, even since birth, deformed. He opened uh, the eyes of those who, who had been blind from birth. Uh, he turned five loaves and a few fish into uh, a, a, an amount of food that could feed 5,000 men, and not mentioning the women and the children. Um, walked on water. I mean, just he defied every every bit of natural law. He did all things. He taught sermons to thousands of people, and everywhere that he went, um, there was the supernatural all around. And during that time, most of it, anyways, he had uh, twelve men that were with him almost constantly, day and night. They they saw everything that he did. They heard every word that he spoke. Um, they slept where he slept. They went where he went. They were with him for all of that time. And they saw firsthand all of the things that he did. And, and they heard every word. And yet, for all of that, those 12 men that walked with Jesus for those three and a half years, never once, not once, did they ever ask him, Lord, teach us how to cast out demons. Or teach us how to heal the sick. Or teach us how to walk on water. Or teach us how to open blind eyes. Or teach us how to multiply food. They never ever said that. But twice, twice in that three and a half year period of time, they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now I would think that if I was going to ask Jesus to teach me to do something, of all the things that he showed, that probably wouldn't be, honestly, on my list. <laughs> I could think of a lot of other things that I would ask Jesus to teach me how to do. Why did the disciples ask Jesus that question and not any of the others? I believe that the answer is because they knew intuitively that the reason why Jesus could do everything else that he did was because of his connection to the Father. And that connection came exclusively through prayer. That that was the reason. Uh, they asked him to teach him to pray because they realized that that was the source. That was where the power for all of the rest of life was, was in that. They had observed that every morning when they opened their eyes, he was already gone. He wasn't with them. And they would find him in some solitary, secluded place praying, talking to his father. He would escape, and, 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 and invariably, every time that he would escape from the multitude, they knew what he was doing and where he was. He was in communion with his father. And uh, even the decisions that he made, everything driven. I mean, he was in the Galilee region and multitudes, multitudes were coming every day to hear his words and, and to be healed and to hear the message of the gospel. And yet they would come to him and say, Lord, the multitude is ready for you. And he would look at them and he'd say, no, we're not doing that today. We're going to go to another town. Well, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. You want to be known. This is where, this is not where I'm to be today. And they knew that he was taking his direction from somewhere else, that it was coming from another world. And thus they looked at it all and just reasoning it all out, they, they summed that the reason why he is what he is and that he does what he does, because realize he was the son of man. He came as an example. 
And they realized that the source was in the connection to the Father. The most important thing, the most important tool that we possess, aside, you know, of course, not to put down the Bible that we talked about last week, but is prayer. To, talk, to, be, to know what it means to talk to the Lord, to be in communion and in fellowship with Him. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is communicating with God. It's being in communion with Him, fellowshipping with Him, conversing with Him, uh, listening to His voice in the stillness, being filled with His presence, letting Him hear our heart, opening it to Him, uh, speaking to Him with our voice or with our mind or in our song. It's, it's connection. It's communion with God. And that's what prayer is. And so this morning we talk about it um, from a very simple viewpoint in terms of uh, just the very basics of what prayer is and how it works and what it, what it does and all, all of these types of things. What does the Bible teach us about prayer? <clears throat> and, you know, the first question um, that, that we would have if we're, you know, smart people is that we would think, okay, well, God is God and I am not. I am man. And so what gives me the right to approach a holy God or what gives me, what would make me think that he would even hear me? Like what right do I have to come into the courts of the throne room of God Almighty and expect that God is going to hear me? I mean, if you just think about it in, in an earthly uh, um, realm for just a moment, like, do, how could any of us expect that we would ever gain an audience with a dignitary or with a king or with someone that's in, in great authority. We would never expect that. Like, we, we couldn't just walk into the Oval Office and plead our case before the President of the United States. Like, we, we can't do that. We don't have the clearance. We don't have the access. So what makes us think or believe that if we just speak, that God is going to hear us and that we would have access to him? Well, it tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the fact that his blood was poured out on our behalf, um, that we now have access to God. Um, before Jesus went to the cross, in the old, old times, prior to him coming into the world, the only way that a man could approach God was through a priest. And the priest would have to offer an animal, and then the priest could offer a prayer on behalf of that person. But a person, a common person, could never approach unto God. They, they just weren't qualified. But when Jesus went to the cross, being the lamb, the final sacrifice that gave his life for the sins of the world, the Bible tells us that the veil, the curtain, that separated people from the presence of God, that that curtain was torn down, down the middle from top to bottom. And the, the, the way was made open now for anybody to come into the very presence of God. That was through the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone. And so because of that, the Bible says now, Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore, because of this, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, God Almighty is giving us an open and constant invitation to come into his presence with boldness and with the understanding that we're accepted, that, we, that when we come in, he's there to hear us. And that has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus. He has paid that price for us and made that way. That's the access badge that we have. When we come to God, we just put the badge, beep the little thing, doors open, and we go in. And we receive that by faith. And the evidence, listen, the evidence 
that we believe that is if we pray. If we don't pray, then we're in a sense saying, well, I don't believe that I have that kind of access. That maybe I will or do at some points, but I can't just come any time or in any condition or, or in any posture. But faith in what the word says will translate into prayer. We will pray because we are allowed. We have the right to pray because of Jesus. Well, you say, okay, no, I don't have any problem with that. I believe it. That's not my issue. Uh, I, I, I believe fully that I can come to God at any time. And I believe that he hears me when I do. My problem is once I get there, I don't know what to say. <laughs> how, how in the world do you, what do you say? I wouldn't know what to say to the president. Uh, sir, uh, commander in chief, uh, <laughs> what do you, how do you address God? How do you come into his presence? What do you say? I don't want to sound like an idiot, you know, before God when I'm talking to him and the whole thing. So how do I pray? Well, how do I do it? Well, the very first thing and most paramount, most important thing, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Just do it. Because if you start thinking about it, then you're really going to get yourself confused. It was like uh, the one day that, you know, a butterfly um, landed on the ground next to the, the millipede, you know, those little things with a thousand legs. And the butterfly just looked at the millipede that was sitting there and he said, hey, I got a question for you. Which leg do you move first when you walk? And the millipede thought about it for a minute, and he and he said, "Wait, well, is it the front leg, and or, or is it the middle, or is it is it in the back?" Is it? And he and he really couldn't figure it out, and and he got himself so confused that he literally couldn't walk, at all, and and he sat there in that condition for some time until the sun rose, uh, and and he saw the brightness of the sun, and he just automatically started moving towards it. You know, it just happened automatically, you know, and the whole thing. But sometimes we can be like the millipede when it comes to prayer, that we can overthink, you know, what we're going to say or how we're going to do it or what, you know, if I'm accepted. And we start doing all these things, well, what foot do I move first? And we don't do it. Do it. That's where that's where it begins, is that you just open your mouth and begin to talk to God and uh, and get past the fact that you don't know what to say or you sound like a moron or you feel like, you know what I mean, the whole thing. Like He knows what we are. He, the Bible says that he knows our, our thoughts and our words before we even speak them. So we can't hide them. If we come into his presence and we're all eloquent, it's not like he's deceiving. He's like, wow, you're very intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like he knows fully what we are. And that should let our guard down that he's not like broadcasting our prayers and posting them on some bulletin board and everyone in heaven can read them or see them or hear them or something like that. No, it's we're talking to God. And so we just speak to him. We come with what's in our heart. The second thing concerning how we pray, it's important to understand, is that God promises that his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us will help us when we don't know how to pray the way we should. It says in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Can you relate to that? Yeah. I, I can. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So what he's saying to us here is he's saying that the Spirit intercedes for us. Now, I find that this happens in a few different ways. Sometimes I really literally cannot think of it. I don't know what to pray for. And so I'll just begin praying. And as I do that, a thought is generated, and I'll just begin to pray according to what that thought is. And then that will lead me down a certain road, or, or you know, and then another thought is triggered. And I take it by faith that that's the Holy Spirit giving me 
the things that, that I'm to pray for in that moment or at that time or the way that I'm to pray for it. Another way, as he says here, is just simply through groanings that cannot be uttered. Meaning that when we don't know how to pray like we ought, even if we just groan before the Lord, like those, that's the early morning prayer, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> you roll out of bed and God goes, oh, yeah, I heard that. That was a prayer for strength. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or, uh, and he says, I heard that that was a prayer of frustration. <laughs> you know, you need help, you know, patience or something. But God hears even the groanings and he's able to interpret them. Why? He says, because he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so the Spirit that lives in us, the Spirit of Christ that lives in us, he helps us to pray by putting things in our hearts that are the will of God and by just speaking through us in the groanings of our life. And God hears that sometimes even as our prayer. And so the Spirit helps us pray. And that's important to know that we're not on our own in this thing, that God is, is, is helping us even in our prayer. Third thing is to pray in simplicity. When we think about how do we pray. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said this. He says, but when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. In other words, you know, like it was the custom of the uh, Jews of old or even of some religious groups, uh, even today. You know, when they pray, they just say the same thing over again, over and over again. Uh, or they, they just read uh, recorded prayers that have been pre-kind of written out, and they just say those things. Kind of like, you know, when we were uh, young, our parents made us say the rosary, you know, and we'd just repeat these prayers over and over again. We'd see how fast we could do it just to get it done. And, you know, we kind of had the superstition that if we did this, that God was going to hear us. If I put aside the time and say these prayers in this order and I get the words right and, you know, maybe there's even a prize for the one who does the fastest, you know, or something. Um, but God says, don't do that. He says, don't, don't pray in vain repetition as the heathen do, unbelievers. For, that's a misprint. It's supposed to uh, say they. It's in the notes. It says, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like them. Why? Because your father knows what you have need of before you even ask him. So we, we have the right and the privilege to just pray in simplicity. We can come to God and we can just like very simply talk to him the way we would talk to another human being. We don't have to wax you know, flowery in our speech and poetic and become like King James linguists. Thou holy God almightieth. You know, and stuff. We don't have to do that. We just speak to him the way we would speak to anyone else in such simplicity. And it delights the heart of God when we approach him in that way. And so how do we pray? Just do it. Trust that God's going to help and just keep it simple. You don't have to be all eloquent or an expert in prayer to pray. Just pray. You say, well, what's the content? What should I pray? What kinds of things should I pray when I do it? And uh, to that, there's a world of answer, you know, and, and a ton of latitude. But um, the, the very simplest is very, very easily is whatever, what's in, what is in your heart to pray? The shortest prayer in the Bible, the shortest prayer in the Bible, you know what it is? Lord, help. That's it. You know who said it? Peter. So the apostle, <laughs> right, the shortest prayer was, Lord, help. It was when he was walking on water and he started to sink. And he said, Lord, help. And the Lord reached down and helped him. That was what was in his heart at that moment. It was the need that was the most expedient. And it was answered very swiftly. 
you know, and that was valid, you know, and so to pray just simply what's in your heart at that moment. Um, also, uh, whatever words that God gives you at that time. If you read Second Samuel chapter 7, the, the verses that are there in the notes, uh, verses 18 to 29, it's a prayer that's recorded by David. And he, he prayed it after God gave him um, a revelation of the future. David was told that his, one of his descendants would be the Christ. And David just kind of went in and sat before the Lord. And, and the prayer that's recorded in uh, those verses was David's response to what God had revealed to him. And he finishes it off by saying, Lord, thank you for even putting these words in my heart to pray to you. You know, and so sometimes God just puts something in your heart to speak to him. And, you know, that's valid prayer. That's real. That's, you know, God hears that. He, he puts a desire. He puts a thanksgiving in you. There's times I go outside, you know, in just the right temperature, the right whatever um, moment and just take a breath of air and like the sun is there and there's a sound and um, and, and there's just a thanksgiving that comes out from that breath. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you, Lord, for life. Thank you for all the things that you've done for me and that you're doing and that you, you, you've just been so kind. Everything you do is just kind. God, I can't imagine today what it would be like to be right here and not know who to thank for this. You know, that's just what's in the heart at that moment. You know, let it out. Give it to him. You know, pray. Give him give him the thanks and all that. Um, in Second Chronicles 14, verse 11, the, the, again, the reference there in your notes, that was Asa, King Asa, in a moment when he got really bad news. <laughs> he got some really bad news. And he just basically took the letter that he received, and he got on his knees, and he put the letter out on the floor, and he said, God, read this. <laughs> and then he said, it is nothing with you, Lord, to help. You could help with great resources or you could help with, with very little. You, but, but Lord, this is yours. I'm putting this before you. I can't do this. But in your name, Lord, would you please handle this? That's it. It's a, one or two verses, little thing. But it was what was in his heart at that moment when he was overwhelmed. So just what's there, what's in front of you, pray. Bring it to the Lord. <clears throat> Another uh, way, sometimes, um, and this is probably where we struggle the most, uh, is, you know, we want, as Christians, we want to connect to God daily, right? Like, I, I don't want to go a day or a week and not feel his presence or, you know, feel that there's relationship between me and God. So I want to pray. But sometimes there's nothing pressing. You know, there's no problems or tragedies necessarily. There's no, uh, you know, there's nothing expedient. So then what? How do I connect with God when I feel like there's really nothing? Well, then... Jesus gave us how, and that's in Matthew chapter 6, uh, where, where you've um, turned. Notice what he says there um, concerning it. It's that famous uh, passage. It starts in verse 9. After, and this is, after, this, is, um, this is the answer that Jesus gave when the disciples came and said, teach us to pray. This is what he gave them as the answer. He said in verse 9, after this manner, therefore, pray. Now mark those words that he says after this manner, because the word manner literally means pattern. In other words, it's not the words that you're to repeat. Didn't he just say, don't use vain repetitions? He just said that. So he says, now after this pattern or after this manner, therefore, pray. And then he gave it to them. And I'll just read it, even though we all probably could quote it. He says, pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day 
our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the amazing thing is that if this is the answer that Jesus gave to the question, right? Lord, teach us to pray. They would be like, yeah, right, Lord. You're in there for hours. (laughs) You're up way before the sun. And this is, that's it? You know, that's the whole thing? Listen, it's not the words. It's the pattern. It's the manner that he gave. Now, essentially, what Jesus gives to us here is he gives us nine Nine um, things, for, for lack of a better word, uh, or nine um, uh, um, factors or whatever, parts to, to, to addressing God or coming to God. And here's what they are, and they all start with P. It's there in your notes uh, under section E there, um, under the pattern. And that's, first of all, to address the person. Who is it that we're talking to? We're talking to God, right? And who is God? Well, he's become our father. That's who he is. The, the Bible tells us in Galatians that we have the right to call him Abba. Do you know what Abba means? Daddy. Abba is the Greek word that translates into daddy. Is that the level of intimacy that we have with God is that he's daddy. And so we're to come to him and to, we're to realize who it is that we're talking to. And the implications of that are huge. I mean, the fact that he's father speaks of his authority. It speaks of his commitment to us, the fact that he's going to raise us up, like he's not going to let go. I mean, what father, what good father would abandon their kids? He's daddy, meaning that he's approachable and he's for us, he's on our side. And what Jesus wants for us is that when we pray, at the very beginning, we come into that understanding of who it is that we're talking to. And that's a combination of a lot of things. We want to fear him and respect him, but we also want to be comfortable with him. We want to trust that he he wants us there and that he hears us. There's a whole host of things, but that should be at the very forefront when we come to him is realizing who it is that we're talking to. Often when I pray, I'll spend the first few moments here in quietness. The Our Father part for me is absolute silence because it's just coming into the frame of mind of who it is that I'm talking to. I'm talking to a holy God who loves me, you know, and so that's the beginning is his person. Then follow that with praise. Notice, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is just a flowery word that means holy. Holy is your name or set apart or sanctified or separate. And so what you're doing is in your, in your understanding and in your addressing of God, you're acknowledging the fact that he is separate from everything else that exists in all of the universe. There are only two categories of what exists in the universe, God and everything else. (laughs) And what you're doing when you're saying, hallowed be your name, is you are taking your attention off of everything else and you're placing it upon God who is singular and set apart. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And so it's praise and bringing to him the understanding of who it is. Then the third thing that Jesus gives concerns our perspective. And that is in the words, thy kingdom come. And that is the end all goal for all things for us, isn't it? That Jesus would come. I mean, our destination, our home is heaven. It's not here. We're waiting for that time that we'll live with him in his kingdom and see him face to face. And the reason why this is to be on the top of the list when we pray is that it sets our perspective in the right place. Here's why. Because sometimes when I'm going to pray, I'm going to go to God, right? And I have this whole shopping list. 
I want to see these things done. God, I want to see, I want to make more money. And I want to, you know, I need a better job and I want a marriage fixed or I need a marriage or Lord, I want to do this or I need some clothes. I want some, or I wish I was, you know, we got this whole list. And we're bringing this, I'm going to bring this to God. I'm going to pray about these things. And then we preface that list by saying, oh Lord, my, my greatest hope is heaven. And I can't wait to live in your kingdom forever. And then we look at our list and we go, half of these things aren't really that important. You know, when I think about the, the real context of life, the Bible says that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he has. So when I think about like, really what's important, that right there, oh Lord, half the things on this list, forget about them. You know, they're not really all that important. The Bible says, set your affection upon things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so it sets my perspective right. I'm, I'm coming to God with the right attitude in prayer when I, when I bring to him that, Lord, your kingdom come. Then um, the position of my heart in prayer is thy will be done. I shared with the men this morning in our first session, right before you guys came in, um, we're talking about uh, the people of Israel and how they demanded of God. They demanded a king. They said, God, give us a king. We want a king right now. And God gave it to them. And it was a disaster. It was a train wreck, you know, King Saul. But what I said to the men, I'll say it to you guys too here, is that what we need to want for our lives is what God wants for our lives. And that's it. To want anything else other than what God wants for our lives is foolishness. Because we can't see 10 steps in front of our face in terms of what's coming in the future. And God can. He alone can. And so for us to demand of God something, not knowing what's coming in the future or what's really good for us, is foolishness. The best place that we can be is in the attitude or mindset of thy will be done. Lord, I'm going to bring these things to you in prayer, but I'm giving you permission to say yes or no or wait or maybe or that's not my plan. I got a no for that because I got a yes to something else. And you know what I mean? God, your will be done in these things. And every effective prayer has that, um, position of heart attached to it is that God, I'm bringing these things to you, but I'm trusting that you know better than I do and that you're going to do what's absolutely perfect in my life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, you see all things. On earth, I don't see that much. So Lord, you do what you see and I trust you for what's best. And so that's the position of my heart as I pray. And so now I've approached God I've hallowed his name, set him apart. I've got my perspective right. The position of my heart is one of submission. And so now I bring my petitions, right? Thy daily bread or give us this day our daily bread. That's petitions. Now I bring to God the things that I need. Lord, my attitude today is wretched. Can you fix this? Because I can't, <laughs> you know. Lord, I need strength today. I've got so much uh, going on. There are these circumstances going on in my life. This is going on in my family. Lord, my parents are driving me nuts. You know, my kids are driving me crazy. My spouse, Lord, help, please. Lord Jesus, you see what's going on. Lord, I'm sick. Or, you know, or, or then the other things that we pray for other people. Lord, my sister-in-law, she needs your help. She's going through this battle. And Lord, save their marriage. And God, and, and then for anything else, he, this is where the Spirit helps. He's moving now, you know. So my, in my mind, it flashes a friend of mine. So Lord, I don't even know what they need, but they're in my mind right now. So pray for them. I lift them up before you. It's just praying. I'm unloading. I'm just giving to God every part of my life and, and letting him um, 
flow prayer through me and the whole thing. But that's petition. Then he follows that with uh, pardon. And that is where Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Isn't it interesting to me or to you as it is to me that he doesn't put that first? You know, I would think that that would be first, wouldn't you? Like, I can't really approach God until I get these little issues right. But that's way down the list for him. Why? Why is this so far down the list? Because here's why. Because all of my sin has already been placed on the cross with Christ. That when I approach God in Jesus' name, he sees me as though I was Jesus coming to him and talking to him. Jesus is without sin. So he sees us already because we're saved as sinless creatures. That's what God sees when he looks at us. Therefore, we're accepted. However, we know, and he knows, that on earth we are also full of all kinds of things, right, that need to change and whatever else. And he's the one that has the power to change those things. And so part of our prayer is the confession of our sin, bringing it to him and saying, Lord, these things are twisted in me. And I want to be honest with myself, and I know you see it already. You know, so Lord, help me with this. I'm struggling, Lord. Old things that, that shouldn't be here anymore are still here. Desires that shouldn't be there. Anger issues that are still here. Jealousy issues that are still here. Lord, please take them out of my life. There's bitterness in my heart towards this person that did this to me in my past. Lord, help me to forgive them. Help me to let go of that. Forgive me that that's even in me. Lord, I'm selfish. I'm self-absorbed. I'm self-consumed often. Lord, change me from the inside out. You know, Lord, I have a money problem. I love money. I know that's going to destroy me if I let it keep going. Lord, temptations to old addictions, they're, they're coming up again. Please, Lord, break the power of those things in my life. He's there to help you with those things. He's, that's what he wants to do. And so he calls us to confess them to him. And so we ask him for the pardon. The next part of it, um, very important, is the path. Notice what he says there. Lead us. You see those words? Lead us. There should be a comma after that. You know, when we were growing up and we said this prayer at a Mach 9 speed rate, we just said, lead us not into temptation. Right? Lead us not into temptation. And, and that's, you know, that's a sentence, right? Lead us not into temptation. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And there's a world of difference between those two things. Because what we're praying for in that is that we're asking God to lead our lives. And a separate thing is we're asking for protection against temptation, that we be not led into temptation. I find that the way that God moves in my life is not through directives, but through leadings. And what I mean by that is that he, it's not, in fact, never, there's never, ever been a time in my life where God has in a prayer time told me, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then do this. He's never done that. He's never said, I want you to go here, then you're going to meet this person, then do this, then quit your job because you're going to get this one. You need to move, move to Ohio. And, you know, he doesn't ever direct and give me directives. But what he has done faithfully for the 17 or 18 years that I've been walking with him is that he has led me meaning that he sees to it that I'm in the right place at the right time and that I have the right conversation with the person that I need to or that I see a verse when I need to see it or a realization comes. Things happen and God leads me. So he, he puts me in a path and then he causes things to come into the path and then his will for my life unfolds very naturally. And God loves to work through the providence. And so part of our prayer is, Lord, lead me. 
Make sure that today I'm where I'm supposed to be. Don't let me miss anything, Lord, in it. If there's something I need to hear, a message I need to hear on the radio, if there's a person I need to talk to, Lord, bring me into their path and give me the words to say. That's leading, you know. So lead us. Give me your leading. Then, of course, protection um, uh, in the thing, that I would not be led into temptation, but that I would be kept from evil. Lord, protect my life today. Be my shield. Watch my back. <laughs> you know the attacks, where they're going to come from, so help me. And then finally, to finish it with praise. Uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Again, just to tell God who he is. Now, the beautiful thing about this pattern that Jesus gives to us here is that you can, you can have an effective time of prayer in five minutes this way, or you could spend five hours with God. And, and you've, you've used the same pattern. You've just spent more time with him. You've given more to it. You, you understand? And so Jesus just gives us a pattern. He says these are, this is the way that, that you can approach God. Like These are the kinds of things that God is waiting and wanting to hear from you. Uh, and you're free to, to bring it to him. And to, to think, like this is the way that Jesus prayed. That when Jesus was seeking the Father early in the morning, it was along these lines. You could spend three hours praising him. And then you can spend five minutes in the rest of it. Or you can, you know, address who he is and your heart is so overwhelmed with what you're going through that you spend three hours pouring out your petitions to God. Or you could be struggling with temptation. And so, you know, and another amazing thing is that you don't have to, you don't have to hit every single one of these things. You're, you have the bold privilege and permission to come into his presence and say, Lord, help me. And that he still hears you. He doesn't say, come on, where's the praise the perspective, the pardon. You know, I can't just go, you can't go right to petition. You can't just go right to petition. You know, he doesn't do that, right? Like he knows us. And, 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 and you know, anyways, you get the idea in the whole thing. And so pray according to the pattern. And then um, how, what else do I pray? And this is probably one of the most powerful things that you and I can do in prayer is pray according to the word. What I like to do when I read the Bible is I like to pray it in as I read. So I'll, I'll read and I'll pray as I go. So for just for instance, you can take the book of Colossians, right? And you can literally pray your way right through the book. And you, you go right through. You get to, you know, the, the chapter where it says, set your affections on things above. And you could stop right there and you can say, Lord, do that in me. Lord, do that in me. I want my affections to be on things above. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Lord, crucify this flesh. Help me to be dead to this world and live my life to you. And then he says, let, let no more be named among you uh, these things, adulteries and wrath. Lord, take it out of my life. I know it's there. Just pray the word, what you're reading in the word. Pray it. You say, why is that so important and so effective? Because in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, notice what it says. It says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us. Now pause for just a moment. If God gives a promise in the Bible, then is that his will for your life? Yes, right? Because the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So if God gives a promise, that's a promise. So if I ask anything according to his will, the Bible says that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So we're guaranteed that God is going to answer our prayer when we're praying according to his will. That's why when you pray the scripture, 
you're, you're praying the most effective way that is possible to pray because you're asking him to do things that he already said he wants to do and that he's willing to do within our lives. And so we pray according to the word. Well, it brings up a question. <clears throat> the question is, if God already knows the things that I need, and he already knows what his will is and all the rest, then what's the point of praying? Why do I need to pray if God already knows what I need before I even ask? And the answer is this, is that he will not let us live independently of him. He's called us into a relationship, not a religion, right? See, religion can work without a relationship. You just go through the rituals, you go through the motions, you pay your money, you go to church, you attend, and then you leave. And then you're done. God will see you next time. God doesn't want that. Who does? What if my relationship with my wife worked that way? You know, we had this little routine where in the morning I, I pray to her and I say, Georgeth, could you please make my breakfast? I am so longing today to eat, and I pray, and I, and I and I do that, and then and then I wait, and she makes my breakfast, and she puts, and we had this ritual thing going between us, and that was it. Okay, and I say I'll see you at lunchtime, and then you know we have no interaction, no fellowship, nothing's gone till then. It would be so dead. What a what a lame relationship that would be. And God doesn't want that with us. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to learn His voice. He wants to lead us. He wants there to be a partnership. You know. That's his will for us. And so he's not going to let us just live independently of him. And so what prayer does, even though God already knows what we need, prayer unlocks the things in our lives that he is already wanting to do. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 3, it says, you have not because you ask not. And so sometimes there are things that God wants to do or even to give us that he doesn't because we didn't ask. Isn't that interesting to think, you know, that, that sometimes it's like, well, God, why didn't you do this? And his answer is because you didn't ask. Well, you knew I wanted it. Yeah, but I wanted to spend time with you. You should, you know, you should have asked. <laughs> and that should encourage us. It should encourage us to talk to him, to ask of him in the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> there's tons of examples in the scripture of that, where God didn't give a warning that he would have given, where God didn't give a victory that he would have given, you know, things of that nature. So it's important that God, God wants us to pray. Well, you ask, well, how often should I pray and how many times should I pray for the same thing, right? I mean, we've prayed for something. We know we prayed according to his will, but he hasn't done it yet. So what should I do then? Should I just forget about it or take it as a no or, or what should I do? The answer is this. The answer is that we should pray as long as it takes or as many times as it takes for us to get an answer from God. And we get the example of that from the scripture itself. You know, there are times in the Bible where people prayed once and God gave an answer. In Genesis chapter 24, you have the servant of Abraham who was on a mission. He had to find a bride for Isaac. And he comes to the place and he says, God, let it be, let it be that when I ask one of these women to draw some water for me from the well, if she says, I'll get water for you and for your camels, then I'll know that's the one. And so he goes up to the first woman. She's pretty kind of attractive, and he thinks she'd make a great one. And he says, hey, can I have a little water from the well? And she looks at him, and she sees the camels. She, he has 10 camels with him. And she says, yeah, I'll get you some water, and let me get some water for your camels too. And he goes, oh! And then he waits 
until she finishes, you know, watering all. I mean, you know how much water a camel drinks? They don't, they only drink once every two weeks, you know? So she draws all this water and she gives enough water for all 10 camels and he waits till she finishes to make sure that God really answered the prayer. And then he looks at her and he says, come here. And he gives her the bracelet and the ring and the earring and the whole thing. And he's like, boy, your life, you are made, woman. <laughs> you, just, you just did the right thing at the right time, you know, the whole thing. And then the servant rejoices that God answered his prayer. But he only prayed at one time and he got an immediate answer to prayer. And sometimes that happens. We pray, God answers quick. And I've had that happen in my life. You hopefully maybe have, if you haven't, you will. You know, there's times that God just responds. And then we're like, good, I finally got this prayer thing dialed in. Then, we, then the next thing comes up, right? And we pray and nothing happens. And it's like the words just bounced off the room and hit us in the face again, you know? And you say, what gives? Well, that sometimes happens. If you look at Elijah, the prophet Elijah, he prayed. You can read about it in 1 Kings 18, verses uh, 36 and 37. He prayed this 10-second prayer asking God to make fire miraculously come down from heaven. He said, oh God, that they might know that you are God and that I have done these things according to your word. He finishes the prayer and fire comes down from heaven miraculously. And boom, boom. I mean, it's a tiny little prayer. You're like, come on, why can't that happen when I pray? And all those things. But just a few minutes later, same day, a few minutes later after that whole thing happened, and it was time for rain to come, and he knew that rain was going to come. He, he, he said to his servant, he said, you stand out here. I'm going to go in there and pray, and you let me know what's going on out here. And so he goes in and he prays, and he says, God, send rain. And he comes out, blue sky, sun beaming, sunburn, servant sweating. You know, he's, like, he's like, nothing? No, nothing. He goes back in, he prays again. He comes out, sun beaming down. He goes, seven times he goes in and he prays. And when he comes out the seventh time, he says to his servant, he says, you see anything? And the servant goes, blue skies, captain. But if you look way off in the distance on the horizon, there's a tiny little cirrus cloud about the size of a man's fist. And Elijah says, ah, he heard. Run. We want to we beat the storm. The servant's like, what? What are you talking about? Before they got down the side of the mountain, the heavens were open and it was thundering rain upon them, you know, and the whole thing. Seven times. Well, why did God, why did it take seven times when previously it only took one time? I don't know. <laughs> but it did. What if he had stopped praying after three? Would it still have come? I don't know. He prayed until it came, until the answer came. A few hundred years later, the prophet Daniel was on the scene. He was a man of prayer. He saw some great answers to prayer. And um, in chapter 10 of Daniel, we're told of an instance where Daniel needed some info. He needed some intel. And so he prayed, and he asked God for it. And it took three weeks of fasting and prayer. 21 days Daniel prayed and fasted and waited on an answer from God. And he got no answer for 21 days. And then when the answer came, we get some incredible insight. It says that Gabriel, the angel being caused to fly swiftly, came to Daniel and he said to him, Daniel, you are greatly beloved. And listen to this. Let these words ring. He said, from the moment that you set your heart to seek after God, I was sent to give you this answer. From the moment you started to pray, I was sent with the answer. But it took me 21 days to get here because 
I was hindered by the prince of Persia, speaking of a demon or a, a satanic entity that was resisting the message from getting to Daniel. That's huge to think about. And it answers part of the question, doesn't it? Why does God have us persist in prayer? Because sometimes there's something going on that we can't see or understand that's hindering the answer from getting to us. And God's saying to us, don't give up when the answer doesn't come right away. Just persist. Because there are invisible things going on that you don't understand, that you can't see, and, and, and that you need to pray through those things. Now again, what if Daniel, after five days, said, you know what, God's not answering, let's just move. What would happen then? I don't know. Does the prince of Persia win? Maybe. Maybe the message never gets him. Or maybe the message gets there, but Daniel's no longer waiting. Right? So the post office shows up, but Daniel's already moved. Paul prayed three times, and then the answer came. You know what the answer was? <laughs> no. <laughs> Lord, would you remove this thorn from my flesh? And he prayed it three times, and finally the answer came, and God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. This thorn in your flesh is, is, is your friend. If I take it out, it's going gonna, it's gonna to set you up for damage down the road. You need this thorn in your life right now. But do you see how the answer was no, but it still made Paul understand why? So God gave an answer, even though the answer was no. But Paul was given the wisdom to understand why he was struggling the way that he was. Jesus prayed three times that the cup would pass from him. Right? And the answer was no. The cup didn't pass from him. But we're told that he was heard. God heard him, nevertheless. And so we're to pray as long as it takes to get an answer. Um, Jesus in Luke 18 told the, the parable of an unjust judge. And he basically said, he said that there was a widow who came to a judge and she complained. She said, I'm being ripped off. They're taking advantage of the fact that I'm a widow and I'm weak and I have no help. And would you please help me? And the judge didn't care. He was an unjust judge. He could care less. He said, I don't, regard, I don't fear God, I don't regard man, and I don't care about your, your issue. Basically, that was the position. But the woman came day after day after day after day. And finally, the judge said, enough, all right. Oy vey, you know. He said, I'll help you. And he helped the woman because she was perpetually coming. And you say, great, that's the heart of God. I'm an annoyance to him. He doesn't care about my cause. No, 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 listen. It was a parable of contrast, not a parable of comparison. He was saying essentially that if an unjust judge will listen to a woman who comes with perpetual askings, how much more will your father who loves you not quickly avenge those that ask? And the point that Jesus was making is this, is that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Well, he doesn't want to, and I have to you know, annoy him to get him to do something. No, no, no. It's not overcoming his reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. And so he calls us to come and, and to pray. And so we're to pray until we get an answer. Why does God say no or delay the answers to our prayers? Uh, first reason is because... Um, Sometimes the thing that we're asking him for or asking him to do isn't good for us. We all understand that as parents, right? My son asked me for a shotgun. <laughs> you know, Dad, I really want a shotgun. You know, you're 12. I'm not giving you a shotgun. I, you know, I, 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 w I might want to give him a shotgun someday, but not now. 
Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's a promise. He will not withhold a good thing from those that walk uprightly. Which means this. If God withholds something from you or me, why is he withholding it? Because it's not good for us. Right? He sees what's good for us. And he sees what's not. And if something is not, then he'll withhold it. God, give me a million dollars. That would solve all my problems right about now. If I just, just drop it on me. Okay, Lord, half a million. Do you know that if it was good for you, God would do it? He's not limited. He could do it right now. If he doesn't do it, it's because he knows what would happen to my life if he gave me a million dollars. He knows what, what we can handle and what we're prepared for and what we're not. And so we're called to trust him with those things. Another reason why God will say no or delay his answer is because sometimes he's preparing things or preparing us for things and we can't see how that preparation is working out. And so the answer is just wait. It's something that he wants to do, but it's doing something in us right now. Sometimes we deal with problem people. Anybody in here ever have to deal with problem people? A boss, a friend, a neighbor, family member? You know, problem people, you know, and we say, God, take this person out of my life <laughs> or get me out of their life. I don't care. Whatever order, Lord, just get me out. And He doesn't. He doesn't do it. And you say, Lord, why? You know why? Because he's using that circumstance to change things in you or to change things in them or to do a host of other things that we don't understand. And so we're called to trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's faithful. He's a shepherd. He sees all things. Sometimes his no answer or his delay is because he's fine-tuning our desires to the working of his will within our lives. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah, who was barren, wanted a son. And she prayed for a son for years. And she finally came to the place in the torture of waiting for this child that she said to God, God, if you give me a son... I will dedicate him to you, and he will be your servant all the days of his life. And then God said, that's what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for that, for you to, as a parent, come to the position where you realize the purpose behind my giving of this son to you. And then God gave her the boy, Samuel. You see, see what happened? Hannah wanted a son. God wanted a prophet. And so God was fine-tuning the desires and bringing them into alignment with what his will was, and then he answered the prayer. And sometimes the frustrations of our waiting are God bringing us to the place where we're in, in harmony with his purposes for that desire that he wants to work within our lives. Again, sometimes a delay is spiritual warfare, and so there'll be a delay. And sometimes an answer of no or a delay is because our prayer is just outright selfish. <laughs> right? It says again in James chapter 4, verse 3, um, it says, you have not because you ask not. And then it goes on to say, you, you ask and have not because you just ask so that you can consume it on yourself, on your own lusts. And sometimes God just says, you know, I'm going to um, pretend you didn't pray that. It is so incredibly selfish what you just asked me for, you know, and there's absolutely not one um, redeemable other centered thing in that at all. <laughs> you know, I'll just pretend you didn't say it. And he, he just kind of passes over that in the whole thing. And so there's always a reason um, for God's 
delays for his no answers, you know, he's got his reasons. He knows what he's doing and we're called to trust him. So the highest purpose and achievement in prayer, if we become people that pray, well, why do we, why would we give ourselves to a life of prayer? Is it just so that we can learn to get things from God so that we can learn to work his angles and okay, well, I know how to say things in such a way that God's going to respond. No, 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 no. The reason why God calls us to pray is ultimately that we might experience him that we might know his presence, that we'd be intimate with his person, that we would uh, cultivate a sense of his nearness within our lives. You know, that's what he wants. He wants us close to him. Prayer is not to get our will done on earth, but to come in tune and in line with his will in heaven. That's, that's the purpose of it. And it's to have our desires conformed to what his desire is for our lives and not for ourselves. And ultimately that we would know him. Um, I remember after, you know, walking with the Lord for um, a number of years, I heard a message um, that was given probably a hundred years ago by, a, a, you know, a man in probably Europe, very fiery sermon. And um, he preached on a particular passage where everybody was just doing their own thing and there was just all this selfishness going on and, and, and the whole thing. And he, he, he closed it with this question and the question came and it was like an arrow that went right in, into my heart and it's never left. It's still there even to this day. And he just simply asked this question. He said, is God in your life, is he an end or is he a means to some other end? In other words... He was asking the question is, are you using God to get the things that you want? Or is God himself the thing that you want? And he said, as long as God is just a means, well, I'm using him. I'm using prayer. I'm using my behavior in order to get what I want. Even if it's peace, joy, I want peace. I want, is that why? Is that really the highest purpose of prayer so that we can get what we want? It's not. The end goal of it all is that we would know him and that he would become the end. In Genesis chapter 15, um, Abraham, God came to Abraham. I love this passage because it's me and it's you. It's all of us. It's two verses. And God came to Abraham and he said this. He said, Abraham, rejoice. He said, I am your shield and I am your exceedingly great reward. And you know what Abraham said? Next phrase, next breath. Abraham said, yeah, Lord, but what are you going to give me? seeing that I go childless. I have no heir. <laughs> Isn't that us? God says, it's me. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, you know, it's me. I am the treasure. And we go, yeah, Lord, I know. But what are you going to give me? What are you going to do in my life? And ultimately, where God wants to bring every single one of us is to the point where no longer is it about what is he going to do for us but it's who is he to us. And so I ask you this morning, is God an end? Or is God a means to some other end in your life? It makes all the difference. And the other question, and we close with it, is do you pray? Do you pray? I know so many that give their lives to Christ and they never develop a prayer life. They can't get comfortable with it. They can't uh, bring themselves to pray out loud or pray with someone else. And so they go five years, ten years, and they never cultivate any form of a prayer life at all whatsoever. I would say they're cutting off their own feet. Become familiar with prayer. Do it. 
Become a person of prayer. Make it your aim that your Christian life is going to be one of prayer, where you're familiar with it, where you're comfortable praying, where you're comfortable going up to a stranger if God puts it in your heart and says, can I pray for you? And then pray out loud in front of someone who doesn't even know God. And that might sound overwhelming, you know, in the whole thing. But the only thing that makes it overwhelming is that you're not a prayerful person. When you get used to talking to God, you know, it's very natural. It's a, it's a normal thing. You know, be a part of praying with others. As husbands and wives, we should be praying with each other out loud, you know, and, and just being familiar with the presence of God in that way. As individuals, we should pray, not just in our thinking. There's a difference. You can pray with your thoughts. You can pray without moving your mouth. God hears it. But there's a difference between thinking and praying. Thinking is not praying, not necessarily. So praying, speaking for things in prayer, you know, is important that we do it. And it reminds me just in closing of that saying, right? Sow an action and you'll reap a habit. Sow a habit and you'll reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, you'll reap a character, or maybe it's backwards, you know, sow a, sow a, a character, reap a destiny. You know, but it starts with just doing it. Pray, just pray. Don't, be, don't let it be um, a taboo thing to you. You know, um, it's essential for our growth. So that's prayer. Next week, we're going to talk next week about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit of God living in us and, and having the Spirit of God empowering us and working through our lives? So uh, we'll do that next week. And 